0: Welcome to the Tamron Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarin Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth.
1: Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast. My name is Dr. Kirby Rossblock, and I am your host today. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Ron Cordes to our podcast, and he is a veteran in the investment world over 30 years. He was co-founder and CEO of an extremely large wealth management firm, AssetMark. And in 2006, he co-founded the Cordis Foundation, which has a global mission to drive market-based capital to address the world's most important problems. Ron speaks a lot, so he will be a great guest today on impact investing, achieving meaning, purpose, and is just really one of the most um, luminaries in the, the, the whole impact space. So we're really lucky to have him here today. And he's been featured from the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Barron's, Forbes, I mean, and pretty much all the top um, wealth management, investment management and news um, publications. So we're thrilled to have him here today and to talk more about his own story because Ron and his family um, were kind enough to share in the second edition of the Complete Family Office Handbook more about their family foundation, their impact family office and what they're doing and the whole setup and story. Ron, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Well, Kirby, thank you. Thank you for the kind introduction.
1: So, you know, Ron, not everybody starts out with a mission and a vision and a drive to um, allocate towards impact investing. And I think one of the things I'd love to hear from you today was what, what inspired you? I mean, what made you go from a financial services firm to the mission and vision that you had for the Curtis Foundation and Family Office?
0: Yeah, well, thank you. I, I'd actually say it was a bit of a circuitous journey in that um, when I got into my early 40s, I, had, I was fortunate enough with a couple of partners, we had some success in an investment business that was growing. And, and yet I was kind of looking for something else. I was ready to have some more meaning and purpose in my life. And so I made a decision in my mid 40s that by the time I was 50, I wanted to be doing something else. And for at the time, it was really focused on philanthropy and uh, kind of organizing a lot of the philanthropic work that my wife and I were doing. And so that led to the decision in 2006, ultimately to sell our business. And that gave us a, a liquidity of our uh, personal financial situation, which led to creating both the family office and our family foundation and I began to devote all of my energies to our family foundation. Uh, I joke today that if you'd asked me 15 years ago what I'd be doing today, I would likely have told you that I would hope that I would have been an accomplished and effective philanthropist. And while philanthropy has been super important to us in the foundation, it was over the first few years of starting to give money away that I kind of stumbled upon the concept of impact investing and it came Because as we looked at our foundation and the problems we were trying to solve, in our case, income inequality, financial inclusion, and the kind of the problem of global poverty, we realized that one, we had a fairly modest pool of assets available to solve a huge problem. And it began to grate on us that traditional foundations were only using 5% of their pool each year. So I kept asking, well, what about the other 95%? And why can't we invest in the same way and toward the same issue areas that we're giving and interestingly in 06 and 07 the initial advice that we got was that that just isn't done we had folks tell us we'd lose our charitable exemption that the IRS wouldn't look favorably on it and it took three sets of lawyers before we finally found a team that said no this it's not being done but it's not being done because it can't it's just not being done because people aren't and so At the end of 07 we made the decision in addition to continuing to grant more than five percent each year to take 20 percent of our corpus and invest it in what are now called impact investments at the time we called them social enterprise investments because the term impact investing hadn't even been coined and that kind of got us started on the journey and we began to meet fund managers and kind of get into the ecosystem and what I found was that in doing that, I had something to offer beyond just capital. And that was 30 years of experience in investment management. And so here I found by 2008, I was deeply immersed in trying to help build the impact investing ecosystem. So i left the investment business to become a philanthropist, only to find that I came up with a new door to re-enter the business again in a way that I could both satisfy the need that I had to really do something good in the world and leverage the experience and context and connections I had to do that through the world of investing. And so that's basically, that's the path that I've been on now for the last decade.
1: And, you know, you also did something maybe kind of risky in the sense that you did this, not just with your wife, but you also onboarded your daughter several years ago. So, I mean, this is truly a family-driven leadership and, you know, you work together as a family team. I think that's really inspiring. Do you want to tell us more about sort of how you get it done and, and what inspires you from each other to make a difference in this impact space?
0: sure sure our family even grew a bit beyond that so so my wife marty and i created the foundation when i sold the business in 2006 and our daughter steph was in high school at the time so she was familiar with it and she'd sit in on board meetings uh, but she wasn't really engaged until after she graduated from college and she was in the working world in new york working for condé nast at the time and uh, we host an event each year in mexico called the opportunity collaboration which we bring together leaders from all over the world steph came down and joined us in 2013 and it just kind of rocked her world and she decided that she came back to new york and decided that this is really what she wanted to do so in 2014 she joined the foundation full-time in addition to which we hired a young portfolio director from the investment world to really kind of take our impact investing portfolio to the next level and um so we became, we we brought the next generation of the family in. He was a millennial as well. Uh, fun story there is he and Steph ended up falling in love. He, uh, his name's Eric Stevenson is our son-in-law now, and so it truly is. We've had four of us now in the family adventure, uh, but it's it's kind of funny. So we when Steph and Eric came aboard in 2014, Marty and I were proud of the fact that we were about 40% invested for impact at the time, which. Mm-hmm then and probably now is about literally 40 times the average investment in a foundation to impact and yet millennials have a different way sometimes of looking at things so one of the things that steph and eric asked is well why aren't we hundred percent and they began to introduce us to this community which is now the hundred percent impact network part of the tonic group of families that were committing to go hundred percent to impact and Candidly, Kirby, we didn't have a good reason why we weren't 100%. We just kind of hadn't gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. And so Steph and Eric committed that they wanted to take us there. And in 2015, they represented us at a White House convening where amongst 20 major foundations, we all committed to moving toward 100% and were able to complete that in 2016. And so what we love about, you know, kind of, they brought the millennial approach of, You know, again, we were we were the baby boomers feeling like, hey, we're ahead of our peers. And they were kind of the old RFK quote, like, why not? Right. Why can't we go 100 percent? And um, also inspired us. They do a lot of work now with Nexus Global uh, Mm -hmm. to really kind of help other multi generational families think through how they can also put their assets to work in the same way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an incredible testament to, to the trust building, but also the connection that you have as a family, because I mean, that's a huge step. I I, I don't know the statistic, but you probably do. I would venture that less than 10% of foundations are in your hundred percent tonic group. I mean, probably even less than that, maybe 5%. Um, so it's a huge statement to go, hundred percent impact tell us what that was like to package and think about the asset allocation and think about the overall risk i mean i also at some point want you to talk about um returns because everyone um, loves to talk about oh you have to sacrifice returns in the impact space i'm not a believer of that but i love your perspective too about just moving into that direction of 100 percent allocation what did that look like how did you tackle that thesis
0: so Kirby, we actually, it turns out, did it in about the reverse way that most people do. So we did the harder stuff first. Mm-hmm. Um, so the early impact investing that Marty and I did in 07 and 08 was all private investments. So private debt, private equity, individual investments in companies and enterprises. And when Steph and Eric came aboard, our public investments, both both uh, equity and fixed income, were all still invested conventionally. They were actually invested with my prior firm because that was just natural place, family office, et cetera. I mean, you know, uh, I had a lot of confidence in the investment ability of the folks that I'd hired and, and, and worked with, um, but my prior firm never really had an ESG or SRI focus. And candidly, even in 2014, 15, I was living in the old SRI world of, I really hadn't appreciated how far that public world had gone from kind of the old exclusion and accept a lower return SRI world, to the ESG world of being able to have, to to really demonstrate that you can deliver a commercial market return and have impact. And so it was Steph and Eric kind of bringing Marty and I the data and saying, well, here's all the studies, right? It's not just our word for it. And they did a very nice job of compiling it. And so we moved our public equities. Ironically, the very final thing we moved was cash. And um, that was really, you know, again, them coming back to us and sharing CDFI opportunities and some other ways in which we could make sure that the cash we kept available for grants and other things was at least doing no harm Mm. and also, you know, position where it could be helpful in communities that were underserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took us about a year and a half to get fully invested. Um, and I would say that, you know, our returns have been certainly on the public markets consistent with where they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, ESG has been a great place to be over the last 12 months. I mean, a lot of the, um, ESG managers that we have have performed very well. A lot of the thematic areas in which ESG has been strong have been outperforming in the market. So we haven't seen, I mean, I'm a firm believer like you that you don't have to give up performance. Um, and I think the best example we had was early on, you know, we we were proud of the fact that we started impact investing in December of 07 when Marty and I convinced our board at the time that let's do it, let's allocate 20%. I remember saying at the time you know this is new we've got the legal ability to do it but there's not a great track record of other foundations doing it but if we lose some money at this which we're going to try not to do let's at least do it as a field builder so that we can help inform the field and so we became fully invested in that 20 percent in august of 2008 you know and then the world as we knew it financially kind of ended in september and As we went through the fourth quarter of 2008, I was super concerned about how that 20% was going to perform versus the 80% that was invested still conventionally. And wouldn't you know, when all was marked to market at the end of the year, because they were all private deals, that 20% was not only not the worst performing, it was the best performing. It was uncorrelated to the market. Things like microfinance, small business loans, working capital, trade finance. So that gave Part of that gave us the confidence, having lived through that kind of stress test, that if this portfolio can perform well in 2008, we went back to the board at the end of 2008 with those results and said, let's take 20 percent and move it to 40. And then, you know, then it was a relatively easy decision to keep going from there.
1: What a. I mean, talk about toes to the fire early, right? As you're getting fully allocated and then really seeing it proof out. I mean, it must've been so rewarding though to know that you're you're putting a big foot in the deep end with breaking into a space that was relatively the Wild West. I mean, some still think it is the Wild West, but I mean, you are a living case study, right? You are truly, your family and what you've blazed is a, a huge contribution to the field because I think it actually gives so many other families the ability to say hey we can do this you know we have the opportunity to not only do well do good but really make a difference with how we invest i mean what are you most excited about now when you look forward
0: well what i'm really excited about kirby is trying to inspire and create avenues for other families to do what we've done and i when i say to do what we've done It's about deploying capital to the issue areas that are important to them, right? So, um, you know, one of my favorite people in the space is Jen Kenning at Align Impact. We're a client of Align. And Jen talks a lot about where do you wanna move the needle as a family? And, you know, every family has got their own areas that are important to them, whether it's geographies or issue areas. And what I'm really all about is saying to those families, I can't tell you what's important to you, but whatever you're passionate about, you have more resources probably to devote to that than you think, because you're only really looking today from your philanthropic pocket. And you can also look at the much larger pocket that you have across your family office or other vehicles, certainly philanthropic vehicles, which to my way of looking should be the low hanging fruit, right? Because you've already committed those assets to serving a mission. So why not deploy them all? Um, One of the things I'm most proud of is that in 2011, I was one of the founders of something called Impact Assets, which is the first donor advised fund that not only allows impact investing, but is actually created to empower it. So if you're not in a position to set up a family foundation, you can set up a donor advised fund and invest 100 percent of those assets. And so that's been really it's been gratifying to, to speak to families, to engage with them. And it's just kind of let them know that, you know, to your Wild Wild West analogy, that it's okay to put a foot in the pool, right? That, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I think now in 2021, so many families have done this, that there's finally more of a track record now developing. The most difficult thing has been to get the advisor community kind of behind us. I think that families actually gravitated to this in many cases before their advisors did, uh, but most of the major firms now are developing impact investing initiatives Um, most advisors are now recognizing that this is an area that they have to get smart in because their clients are starting to demand professional advice which is terrific and there's a lot of bespoke firms like align impact and others that are being created to specifically help clients along the journey so i'm i'm really kind of proud of the fact that we were early and have helped in our own little way shape the ecosystem that makes it easier for a family to start in 2021 than it was for us in 2008.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, we certainly lived through unprecedented times, right, in the last uh, two years and, you know, perhaps even longer, um, you know, as we look out to what's ahead and we're we're dealing with sort of the, the ongoing, I mean, the long hauler syndrome for those who had COVID and had negative effects from it but even our economy kind of has a long hauler sort of um symptom right from all the COVID malaise and i i mean i don't know if you want to speak to it but i would imagine that this has maybe lit a fire under a lot of families who say wow there is so much need and there's so much important work that needs to be done and you know we were happy to invest through xyz firm and they're great and they're traditional and they're you know tried and true But it's time for a change. I mean, we can't not take recognition of all the, you know, tragedy that's on our news every single day. And I I just wonder, as you see and look out at the landscape, I mean, I I know a little bit about your investment thesis, but where do you see um, individuals, families, and even institutions starting to shift and say, wow, we're going to do this differently now, or we need to take a a deeper lens?
0: Yeah. So... Amidst all of the disruption and tragedy of COVID over the past year, an incredibly gratifying, so we we have a a connection with this community of families now that are part of Align Impact, we're up to about 52. We added more families in 2020 than we had in any prior year, which at first might be counterintuitive, right, with folks, I mean, this is a big decision for people. But what we found was families kind of saying, if not now, when, right, Mm -hmm. when you combine the, all of the issues around COVID and kind of the deep income inequality that surfaced out of what was happening with COVID, plus all of the racial justice issues that surfaced mid-year. You know, we just, we had families saying, if if I'm not, you know, if not now, then when would I look to deploy more assets to the things that I care about? And so there was this feeling that folks were stepping up and saying, I want to put my resources to better work. So. That's just been really gratifying. What I have found that's interesting because i work with a lot of foundations is there does today still seem to be a difference between kind of founder-driven and founder-run foundations and foundations that may be a few generations removed from the founder. I found that the more institutional the foundation is, the more it's run by, you know, really talented, qualified people, but not necessarily the folks that put the assets in, the harder it is sometimes to make big decisions. Um, So it's interesting that we have 45 families as part of this, it probably has grown now, that's the last number that I heard, a part of this 100% impact group, Tonic, around the world. And gosh, I would say nearly all of those families represent first-generation wealth. And so it's folks that were kind of entrepreneurial, most of them in their nature, right? Which generated the wealth to begin with. And what's really cool now is they're taking that same entrepreneurial approach to say, you know, I built a business doing this and I was on the cutting edge and that led to success here. And I wanna be on a similar cutting edge, right? Whether it be venture philanthropy or now impact investing.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds a lot like, what some grantors will do writing a letter of wishes right alongside the trust and give more color and guidance on what the spirit of the gift or a spirit of the intent of what they set up i mean, maybe that's where we're moving to maybe there has to be deeper guidance so that as the founding generation or family members disengage the trustees keep alive and well the ethos and the ideas and the spirit of why was this money put in this foundation in the yeah. first place um, because I hear you, I think a lot of times trustees and, um, are a very afraid to, you know, deviate beyond what maybe the charter says. And, and that can actually be really limiting to the opportunity, um, with the spirit of what that foundation was all about. So I love that you bring that up. And I love that you can share your story with us today because we really hope it will inspire others to get on the bandwagon and think big. I mean, think big of, how they can impact change and, and see the, the, the benefits, not just, you know, personally, but to their communities and, and to the world at large.
0: Well, I know I, it's a pleasure to, to be part of this and I, I commend you for the work that you're doing to spread awareness. And I'll just say maybe in closing that, um, we've gotten an enormous amount of satisfaction out of our grants budget and all of the amazing nonprofit organizations we've supported over the years and some incredible people. I would say we've also though, gotten an amazing amount of personal satisfaction out of supporting entrepreneurs from an investment side, right? So we feel like here we've got this double opportunity to deploy capital in ways and on the investment side, you know we're we're developing a track record that says we can earn market returns while at the same time really putting money out that addresses issues that are really important to us so i try to share with people that and, and, and in fact we found in multi-generational families that impact investing is often the thing that brings that next generation in they're not necessarily excited about sitting in on you know an investment meeting where they just simply talk about you know The very basic things about returns and standard deviation etc when you start to sprinkle in impact investments and they can start to make a connection to solving problems that's also a really interesting way of kind of bringing the next gen in
1: I think it's a brilliant way to close because I think it's hopefully going to be a call to action and an invitation to say this is how you can make meaning too and co-create, right? You've done that with Steph and Eric. You're co-creating this new generative path um, that's personally rewarding. You're you're strengthening family ties, but you're also doing so much good. And I think that's another really compelling um, thesis for why, you know, putting your toe in the water and seeing how it works out. Because if it does inspire, right, that rising generation, imagine how much more they'll care how much more they can do, how much more change can be affected. So Ron Cordes, thank you so much for joining the Tamarin Learning Podcast today. You were inspiring as always, and I'm so grateful for your involvement today.
0: Well, my pleasure, Kirby. I very much appreciated joining.